Hey guys, welcome to VS Energy's Commissioning Podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Ferry, and here with us today is Mark Sankey and Nick Taliska. So today's podcast topic is eyes, ears, and boots on the ground. And just from the episode name, you could pretty well understand what we're going to be discussing. And it's really a, a little bit more in-depth conversation from our previous episode, which was commissioning agents' involvement in the construction phase. So we're just going going to dive into it a little bit more regarding the events leading up to functional testing and why those events are they're very important. So some key points from last episode, some key takeaways were obviously commissioning involvement in the construction phase is is really critical because the commissioning team, commissioning agent can help identify some installation issues or spec compliant issues, you know, when they're very um new, if you want to call it that, to prevent rework. We can solve the problem before it multiplies itself or gets too far down the road to where it's, you know, an expensive undertaking to change it. Involvement with the pre-functional testing, that's obviously extremely critical to ensure when the system or the systems start up, they're going to be able to run. They're going to be able to run before functional testing. So they're going to be able to at least operate. Ensure the project is in alignment with the owner's project requirements still. We want to make sure we're staying on track towards and pointed towards the end goal. And then obviously last but maybe not no last but not least in the installation phase is the functional testing of the equipment. So in our last episode, we really emphasized the importance of being on site and seeing reality as it is, and not from you know, secondhand information coming from the field, coming from your foreman or whatever, you need to be on site to see what's going on. And, and that's extremely valuable. And I feel like a lot of owners, they understand this value to some extent, but are very reluctant to pay the money to have the commissioning agent on site really prior to functional testing. And with that being said, I know I covered a lot, but Mark, can you kind of dive into this and break it down for us? Sure, I'll I'll dive in on this. Interestingly, all of the major entities that provide certifications for uh, commissioning agents or commissioning firms really have similar requirements as far as credentialing before you can even take the test for commissioning authorities or commissioning agents, which include most are 10 years or more of experience a engineering degree and some uh, credible authentication of work experience during that time. And the, the individuals that get certified are generally recognized as fairly um, competent, high quality building, for lack of a better term, experts. And it's very difficult to be an expert in all facets of new construction, but certainly as we focus on HVAC and controls, fortunately, it is pretty easy to become an expert. So we have a a group on here that are all considered experts in HVAC and controls and energy. One of the things that I think, um, you know, why don't owners want to spend money uh, for commissioning time on site before functional testing is because in, in my mind, the answer is they don't recognize the value. 
you never spend money on things you don't recognize value for unless you, you can't help it, like taxes, for instance. But anyway, that's a different story. Um, the, uh, the things that a good commissioning agent brings to the table during construction are proactivity. You can communicate your expectations as far as the job performance, congruence with the owner's project requirements. You can inspect construction as, as it's occurring. You can verify the construction that is in place is in compliance with the spec and in congruence with the OPR. You can record things that aren't captured on the as-built drawings or record things so that you can compare them when as-built drawings are submitted. That is lots and lots of pictures, notes associated. And when necessary, you can redirect and or guide the contractors to assist them in putting in place work that will be uh, in congruence with the spec and, in and meet with the requirements of the owner's project requirement document. So Mark, you're saying that owners cannot see that there is value in those activities, or sometimes I think that there's a perception that those are valuable things to be done, but they're already being done by others. You know, in reference to Clayton's question about why wouldn't they want to spend the money before functional testing? So on your pre-functional, you know, do you see that a lot that they think, well, this is already being taken care of by my project management team, construction management team? Well, I, I, I do agree that many owners operate under the assumption, particularly in either design, bid, build projects, or in construction management, at risk projects, they operate under the expectation or belief that the construction management team or project management team will in fact operate in those in that in that function. Not always true, especially where you know the construction manager's job is what? Make money. So there's a set of engineered drawings. They may or may not uh, have an owner's project requirement document which guides the project. If they don't, then there's an enormous amount of latitude on the part of the CM as to means and methods if substitutions are made, oftentimes with the, with the acquiescence of the engineering uh, A&E firm, maybe that is or is not in compliance with the OPR document. So I think they're, you know, the owners oftentimes don't have their own representation on the project. They don't always have a project manager, or if they do, they're a project manager from the administrative perspective, but not necessarily from the field knowledge base requirement perspective. You know, I might challenge your lead-in statement there. You said construction manager's goal is to to make money, but you know, that might be an oversimplification of it. They're obviously balancing construction costs and budgets with timelines, but, you know, always wrapped up in whether it's a project manager's role and responsibilities or the construction management team is this idea of quality. And so I think that maybe connotes that, you know, these activities are necessarily, you know, entwined with what their regular objectives are or tasks are. Uh, that, I, I think, by and large, the expectation or, or that belief is true. However, 
you know, that said, it's again, not always, uh, and, and I've worked on plenty of projects where the construction management team may or may not have the level of certainly mechanical system um, acumen that is required to really interpret mechanical system drawings. You know, if, if you get a GC who's prime and has mechanical and electrical contractors working for them, that GC may or may not have the wherewithal or the skill set internally to be able to understand if the G, if, if the mechanical contractor, electrical contractor, are, inst are installing work in accordance with the OPR, in accordance with the specs, and at the end, without commissioning agent involvement and or oversight and or integration, it all just becomes a game of back charges when things aren't right. Yeah, and I think even if the um, the uh, construction manager has a, the greatest intents, like they their knowledge base, you know, especially in HVAC may not be so. Uh, or HVAC controls even may not be you know so in depth, so they might not know you know if it's a retrofit project where you know you know the drawing might show put a thermal well here here and here we'll replace these damper actuators and so on and so forth they might have no idea what the right way to do it or the wrong way to do it is but if they put it there and the commissioning agent comes in at the end and sees it wrong then it's reworked too so they might think they're doing the right thing but i'm not beating everybody up i'm just at the point where hey and I, I will say any construction manager or construction management firm is in business for one thing and one thing only, and that's to make money. And, and Well, I, I do think that may cast, you know, them in, I mean, but isn't everybody, I mean, wouldn't the same be said about VS energy or my yeah. firm? I mean, yep. Uh, but I think, you know, and really talking about this, because I thought a lot more about obviously commissioning recently, because I, I see the back end of it a lot and see what wasn't done. And, you know, but I'm not in these discussions with owners about, you know, they're on the fence about whether they need it. But I can understand when we talk about the benefits of a commissioning authority or agent and we start talking about, because these guys don't know everything and they may do something wrong and they're not looking at the things we're looking at. So that, in my mind, then kind of puts the commissioning authority then as you're necessarily saying he's an expert or she is an expert in all of these things. But I think I'm probably oversimplifying things there. And I do get, you know, I understand I'd be interested in almost role-playing this from, you know, my perspective as an owner. And let's say I'm thinking about doing a major chiller plant integration. I've got multiple chiller plants. Somebody tells me, hey, you got to talk to to Mark Sankey and his team about getting involved on the commissioning side. So I'm thinking, well, no, I've got a great team and you know, this is what part of what they're supposed to do. If I run into problems, we probably pull in a commissioning guy. But and I kind of get then you look at well what's the PM's role and it's you know budgets, timelines, blah, blah, blah. Not every project has a construction manager necessarily. Uh, but in my mind, what I understand, they'd be more involved in the day-to-day -day operations of making sure material comes in and goes out and 
you know, personnel issues and trades and coordinating that. But then, you know, the commissioning authority makes sure that they all do it right. It just sounds like it is putting it into a, a, a negative light. And I, you know, I understand why some people based on that may say, yeah, that's why there might be an adversarial relationship there. I, I agree with all that. So now it's story time. So uh, it was a good while ago, um, many years ago, as a matter of fact. So I was working on a project in Rochester, New York, and it was a big overhaul of a uh, armory, you know, where they used to keep um, house soldiers from time to time and also keep armament and uh, resources, military resources. So it was repurposing the building. So the m and &E firm put together a big project, spec controls, blah, blah, blah. And I happened to be a representative for the controls contractor. We got the job, the mechanical contractor got the job. And there was a, this was pre-commissioning days. There was a clerk of the work on the jobs who actually, Nick, also happened to be a Clarkson graduate. And uh, we graduated together. So, and this kid was pretty sharp. Uh, he wasn't a kid. You know, he was my age at that time, but I didn't consider myself a kid. I think I was probably 29. But anyway, work progresses. And one of the um, portions of the scope of work was to, remove and replace the 35-year-old hot water pumps, blah, 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 along with a bunch of other equipment. So, okay, stuff all gets disassembled, salvage, you know, taken out of the building, works underway, new piping's going in, all kinds of stuff is happening. And uh, hot water pumps get reinstalled and go to start them up and the the individual who was the clerk of the works calls me over and says, see these pumps? I said, yep. He said, here's the nameplate data from the pumps that came out of here. Look at the nameplate data. They took the pumps out, sandblasted them, painted them and brought them back. Oh. This is on a federal job. It was a bad day, but wow. unless someone was paying attention to the details, and let me tell you, I've known a lot of clerk of the works and know a lot of commissioning agents. And nowadays, it would be pretty easy, I think, to spot a used pump. But it never crossed my mind, not one time before that, on a remove and replace project that you should write down the serial number of the stuff that goes out because somebody could have it sandblasted and painted and brought back on the job. All I'm saying is that without a watchful eye on the project and attention to that level of details, Anything can happen. Well, I totally agree with that. Now, okay. Are you saying that would never happen in this day and age? No, no, no. I, I'm a little surprised at, at that, on, on that level of project, to be honest with you. Uh, but I totally believe it. No, and I guess when I think about it and, you know, I think I said this on the first episode. I'm still surprised that there seems to be a, a persuasion campaign that commissioning is good, right? And I don't think, I think it's almost missing the mark. I think everybody understands that obviously you want to, when we talk about what is commissioning, everybody agrees and nods their head and say, of course, you know, we want it to work according to how we specified, blah, blah, blah. But I think there's the belief that this is being done already. And I think it is important to kind of look at, 
you know, obviously everybody understands the concept of division of labor and you put your skilled people in the parts of the work that you need them to do, right? Mechanical doesn't necessarily know electrical, but they're intertwined, same with uh, structural and architectural, but the commissioning authority in a way presents the unification of, of a purpose, of the common purpose of it. So while everybody's out doing their pieces and parts, there absolutely has to be somebody making sure that, you know, the continuity of, you know, here we started this problem state and we're trying to get this to, to the solution state and making sure that that line doesn't get decoupled along the way. So I don't think we're necessarily in disagreement about anything at this point. Oh, I don't think we're necessarily in disagreement. I think that, that um, to, to elaborate on what you said, I think everyone thinks commissioning is necessary and is happening, but the, they draw the line that commissioning starts when the project is being started up. Yeah. And, and at that point, Correcting issues are not as simple as during the construction process. Well put right there. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really what this whole episode is kind of geared around is saying there's value in having a commissioning agent on site, you know, for the time preceding equipment startup, because when you show up to commission a, a job at the end, obviously you've already did it wrong. Per, or you, you may have done it wrong. May have done it wrong. Well, the commissioning process, you know, generally you don't oh. like talked about. You don't want to show up at the end for commissioning because you you haven't done your end of the bargain, I guess, if you want to do it right. But say it happens and it does, you you may find problems that could have easily been resolved many many weeks ago. You know, when the the first sign of the problem occurred, rather than okay, now the job's built. And now we have a whole bunch of issues and now we have to go back and do a rework. So the time, the money spent for the commissioning agent to be on site to mitigate that. I Mark could probably say more times than not is cheaper than the rework required for it. Uh, I would say it typically is. I mean, you, you, there are always cases where you get a very high quality contractor and they're, they have, good relationship with the owner of the A&E firm and it makes life simple and things go in as expected with just minor tweaks. You know, they start off early with a understanding that there will be a, a pre-functional testing and functional testing have their own uh, thought processes as far as input on the functional testing plan and construct with the functional testing plan in mind. So there are measurement points, uh, you know, duct pressure, uh, duct static pressure testing measurement points, all those things that make it easy. But that's uh, typically the exception, not the norm. Well, would it be fair, safe to say, I mean, it seems like this opinion and you're going to disagree with me. I already know you are, but um, it seems like, this opinion can almost be derived from like design bid build projects where you're paying for generally the cheapest contractor trying to maintain the, the small little to no margin they have to get the job built per spec. 
I don't know. It seems like maybe if I was, you're going to, you know, if you said you did a design build project, it it may turn out slightly differently where you may have less problems, but you're going to say that's not true. And I, I guess I agree with you, but. No, I I don't know that it's not necessarily true. Again, the, the responsibility for um, commissioning, assuming there was no commissioning thought or input given by an owner or nobody talked to the owner and said, who's your commissioning entity and are they helping you write an OPR and all those kinds of things. Now, without that, it becomes the A&E's responsibility and the A&E alone to prepare a document which includes all of the requirements for the project, including materials, means and methods, startup, commissioning spec, closeout documents, and training. And that in and of itself, let's just assume that all that gets done right, there still is no individual during the, typically during the construction process, except the administrative project manager for the owner and usually a, a project executive from the A&E who comes in once in a while to look at a project and absent that, there's, there is the potentiality for a big gap between intent and actual construction. And that's why on the ground you need boots and ears. Yep. And yep. eyes. Yep. I I'll add one more, a mouth, because, <laughs> well, you do, because you need to be, you, you need to communicate, right? And you need to do it frequently and you need to not be shy if you're a commissioning authority out there, right? Yeah. You just can't be making notes. I mean, and that's a huge part of a good one or a good team is, you know, fixated on documentation in a way, but communication is a big part of it, but it doesn't sound as good as eyes, ears, and boots and mouth. So. Well, I agree with that. And actually we, I was on a project before Clayton started where the, the contractor said, you know, the last project that they were on, the commissioning agent never spoke to the contractor. He would come to the job site, look around, go back to his office and start a bevy of emails that went to everybody and their brother over everything, the smallest things, uh, email, you know, extensive copy list. And by the time they got to start up and pre-functional and functional testing, the relationship between the contractor and the commissioning agent had really gone south because nobody likes, Hey, you forgot a, B and C. It's just as easy to point it out and identify that this needs to be modified or there needs to be an air vent installed or there needs whatever than to go back and we're going to burst into print and, you know, copy half of the planet. That's just, it's, it's much easier. Like you said, Nick, just speak up. Yeah. And you kind of, right. you kind of covered two, two big points I had is a, we, we can all agree as a commissioning agent, you should be on site and spend more time on site rather than in the office because you need to see what's going on to, to fix and mitigate those little detail problems that all it takes is a, Hey, you should do this or this should be that way rather than that. It doesn't have to be malicious or angry or anything at the person. And then 
on the other end, from the contractor's viewpoint, the commissioning agent should not be seen as the bad guy. As you said, Mark, you know, you, you could be, you could be put shed in the wrong light if, if you go about it wrong and go back and send the emails and call people out like that for simple things or maybe simple things that can be easily avoided. So you're a part of a team, really. You you all have a common goal. So correct. Maybe that's easy. It's obviously a little easier said than done, because everybody has their opinions and their their own way of doing things. But well, and I think that speaks to getting the commissioning authority involved early on, and uh, not having you know being brought in as somebody to you know, point out what should have been done months ago or a year ago. And now they're there to find out what is going wrong. So right, there are a lot of things that can happen with that. So a question for you guys then is we're talking about the commissioning agent essentially overseeing construction. Paint a picture for me as a commissioning agent. Are you, you know, out there in the field watching, you know, the, contractors install every everything you know you're looking at every little detail or are you coming and making periodic walkthrough checks um and i kind of i mean i have my own opinion and answer on this but i just want to see what you guys would say and it, maybe it varies on the job and the contractors but i assume you don't want to be that the person that hovers too much either correct basically with each of the contractors or all the contractors at once, it, it's typical at the kickoff meeting, you know, this is the spec, this is the, you know, the word on the project. And we, we all plan to work to abide by and construct in accordance with the specification. And when there are non-compliant issues, they'll be so identified, whether verbally or in writing. And it's the requirement that work in place meets this specification document and or if it's a uh, you know a ESPC for instance there's often no spec but there should be an OPR so we'll live and die by the OPR and if the owner has any supplemental material or construction standards that apply that are incorporated by reference or other uh, communique then those will also apply to the project but yeah it's it's a uh, by and large, I don't want to hover only be involved as much as is necessary to ensure compliance with a spec or construction document. Right. So that would certainly bring you onto the site during pre-functional testing. Oh yeah. Okay. And to what degree necessarily I would, I would have to think like, like Clayton, well, I know that it depends on the scope and scale of the project and, it can be a huge coordination effort in and of itself, especially when you get into projects where I think a lot of our experiences, it takes a while to get there. You know, and if you have Absolutely. to fly across the country, well, that brings a whole new set of issues. Right. Yeah. That I don't think, again, it's uh, you know, long distance commissioning is a non-starter in my book just the the overhead of transportation based on the frequency of being on site just doesn't doesn't make it economically viable well that's very interesting there very uh i wouldn't say provocative but maybe it is 
Why do you do you think commissioning agents from California should come to the East Coast and do commissioning? Well, not to pick on any states necessarily, but I do think it's an interesting question because sometimes it may be sound like we're framing it that you need a commissioning agent, anyone will do, but there is a difference. So I so I don't know. Is it I guess just the same way you would you don't pick your mechanical based on how close he is to the project. I would think there is some merit to, you know, weighing the uh, well, the costs and the availability. Like you said, if you are going to be bringing somebody that's going to have to travel a long while, but let's say they have extensive experience in that particular project, I would imagine it's like any other decision. You know, it's not clear cut, but you got to weigh out the pros and cons. Agreed. I, I agree with that. And maybe I shouldn't have been, I try to distill it down so uh, to just a couple of facets, but um, I would not accept anybody for a commissioning project without personal interviews with the uh, owners and probably with a commissioning agent that would be on the job. And that is really what we're talking about here, right? Is, you know, eyes, ears, and boots on the ground. So a field presence so that cannot be discounted. You know, you can't have somebody that says I'll be there for, you know, a day during pre-functional testing and another day for functional testing. And, or would you accept something like that? I'm going to look at it, be there for a sample of it. Or I mean, I think that was maybe where Clayton was going with the question of how much are you there? So Sample that that brings in another whole arena, which is statistic statistically significant sampling of key items, and or one hundred percent functional testing of you know chiller plants, boiler plants, pumping systems, those kinds of things. So I would I myself would never advocate for. Uh, the commissioning agent not witnessing or participating in 100% of the functional testing. I, I just wouldn't advocate for that. That means what the um, contractors fill out the functional test results. I, I couldn't buy oh, I, I couldn't imagine. I mean, maybe it happens, but I, I wouldn't want to be the firm set like that the commissioning firm having that happen because that's got to be a liability, a huge liability on their end too. Absolutely. So also let me just, you started with talking about statistically significant uh, sampling, I think. So I'll take the scenario. I get it with, you know, you have 20 pumps or something, different plants, whatever you're going to be there for every one. Uh, what about VAV boxes? You have 200 out there through a couple of buildings. 20. I mean, would that be some case where you would but break actually, that kind of rule? Yeah, absolutely. And we actually write that into commissioning specs often yeah. that we will sample 10%. Yep. If anyone fails, then we, sample, well, then we commission 100% at the contractor's cost. I think that's completely reasonable. I think it's a lot easier to group VAV boxes into a, a homogenous population as opposed to, you know, chilled water pumps. You could have 
20 of them that are 15 horsepower, but they're not going to operate the same. You know, no, they almost would not be even right. considered a part of a population. Right. So no, get, and that's one of my pet peeves with measurements too. You're exactly right. Exactly right. But, you know, we always get pushback on, well, why should the contractor pay for it? Well, because if the, if, if the direction is clear, the understanding of performance requirement is clear, you know it, and it doesn't make it. it I mean, this is like giving you all the answers to the final exam, but you still can't get an A on it. Uh, I'm sorry. We're going to, we're going to test you until you get all A's. Well, and I think we had this conversation, I believe we had this conversation in the commissioning series um, in one of our previous episodes, maybe it was the commissioning process, but it, it, um, it's like you, uh, it holds them accountable. I mean, they know you don't have to check every one of them if they know that if there's failures, they're going to be the ones paying for it. So it makes them theoretically make everyone correct. If they knew what ones you were checking, maybe it'd be different, but you're going to randomly sample 10% of it. They need to know, well, risk versus reward. What are the, you know, it's pretty much what it comes down to. Oh, and they most, you want to assume they they want to do a good job, but you know, if someone's considering that and you do the, we're randomly sampling 10% of them. And if whatever percent of those fail where you're paying for it all, then I assume they're going to spend the time to do it. Correct. Correct. So it seems like you know, we can all agree. I assume that the commissioning agent really needs to have a good understanding of construction and constructability as well. Right. How often are like commissioning agents, teams, the people, the eyes, ears and the boots on the ground, do, do they know what they need to know or what you would think they need to know? It seems like somebody could come fresh out of, we'll say just fresh out of school, not know much, get put on a commissioning team, say, here's your checklist, go, you know? Well, it's, it's interesting because um, uh, this falls right under, uh, you know, parallel with Adam Muggleton talking about take the checklist away, you hold the checklist, and ask them what 80% of the, if they can't tell you specifically what 80% of the items are on the checklist and the tests are that lead up to those, then they're probably not the right person. Right. It's that simple. Right. So if they don't know their own documents and procedures well enough to be able to describe them to you, then they have no business being in the field conducting functional testing. And maybe I'm wrong. I don't want to make a generalization and be wrong but it, it just it's a possibility that that can occur and i don't know you've you've been on more jobs than i i don't know how often you see that happening it, it happens often yeah um and the other side of it is i think that as a commissioning agent you have to be not necessarily fanatical but you have to be passionate about a couple of things. One is the performance of the job and two is the is your personal and business reputation. So if you choose to compromise the performance of the building without the 
owner's acceptance or knowledge because you're looking for expediency or you know there may be a problem that you didn't catch and you're you don't want to bring it up then shame on you 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 know you have to own your mistakes whether you're the contractor or the commissioning agent but at the same time it's incumbent upon the, the commissioning agent is basically the guy responsible to be sure that the building performs in accordance with the OPR. And if you get to the end of the project and it doesn't, there's only one place to look and that's in the mirror. Yeah. And I I could say, I don't know, maybe an analogy for me to make it is uh, like when I'm putting the, the wheels on my car or my truck. Yeah. I could, I could use my impact and give it, you know, four Ugga Uggas and that'll probably keep the wheel on, but you need to torque the wheel, right? You know, there's, you could do, there's multiple routes where it will work, but there's a right way and you need to be committed to doing it the right way for the right reasons. You know, the, yeah, holding the wheel on with your impact, it'll keep the wheel on for a while, but if that wheel, that wheel could fall off because one lug nut could be torqued different than the other. So I don't know. That's my, my simple break it down analogy. I think oh. there's, a, there's a lot of temptations to say, yeah, this will work good enough on the contractors end maybe. And you as a commissioning agent, yeah, you, you know, it'll work, but it's not the right way to do it. And it needs to be done the right way for a multitude of reasons. And Clayton, I'll be honest. I like your wheel analogy. So in the wheel analogy, what's the worst thing that can happen? No, it'll fall off and someone could die. I don't know. That's the worst thing that could happen. And, and not necessarily you. With yeah. somebody else. Yeah, yeah. And in that regard, okay, well, the, the building doesn't work the way it's supposed to, but we can all, you know, put a stamp on it and walk away. And what happens? Well, the building owner will either pay higher costs for energy, have un, unsatisfied uh, occupants in the space. Uh, the building won't have enough ventilation. I mean, you can go all the way down the road in terms yeah. of the outcomes, which are negative that don't necessarily impact the commissioning agent, but you know, it's, it's like anything else. I, I, I'm not a very good carpenter, but I'm a fastidious trim yeah. carpenter because it hides all my other mistakes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's one of those things where you can be a great, you know, commissioning agent on paper, but what really matters is what people don't see or aren't necessarily obvious. Well, yeah, and like by the way, I'm a better commissioning agent than a carpenter. <laughs> yeah, like again, when the car leaves the lot, it's got all four wheels on it, right? But when they drive a hundred miles down the road, one could fall off. It, yeah, sure, it can look like it's operating properly and good to go, but you know, they could say, hey, "Check the list, put the wheel on." Right. They could even check, say, "Oh yeah, we torqued it," but <laughs> that's the I risk like, you're willing to take. I, I like that analogy because to me, it. it pinpointed, I guess, or brought into focus the importance of uh, knowing as soon as possible when something wasn't done correct or to spec or to the OPR. Right. The longer you do wait, the greater the consequences. So, which means that sometimes waiting a day or two till something is done, you know, can present its own challenges. Other work, it's then has to be rescheduled, coordinated. You're going back, getting out tools and whatnot. And tearing things apart. So again, I think that highlights the the point of, you know, you need to be in the field, you need to be in the space uh, to make sure that these, you know, issues are caught as soon as they are, they can be known. 
Yeah. And you need to know what to look for, obviously. Yeah. So it illustrates the importance of finding out problems as soon as you can, because right. I would think the graph of consequences, the further away from when the problem occurred, as illustrated by Clayton's wheel falling off example, you know, the trend is just upwards. Yeah. And, and like, I, like I was saying, or trying to, trying to reiterate, like, again, you need to understand construction and constructability of things to, to help resolve these problems. I mean, you need to be able to see somebody installing something and realize this doesn't look right or this is wrong and what the right way to do it is too, to point it out. And even beyond that, you need to understand maintenance and maintainability. Yeah. You need to have a working knowledge of code compliances and clearances so that all of a sudden, oh, hey, we, we don't have any clearances for motor starters or VFDs or uh, we can't pull the tubes on this chiller or you name it. Because, right. uh, you know, from a code compliance issue, that's non-flexible. And from a maintainability perspective or long-term operability, you know, things that we ask for are lots and lots of labeling. We, you know, we request the engineers include labeling for everything. You know, I don't want to have a, a customer that's trying to find out what circuit breaker controls, you know, the receptacle in this area of the building needs to be labeled. And the same thing with wiring, um, you know, phase taping, all those things that they're small. I mean, maybe it makes you a nitpicker, but the maintenance staff, when it's all said and done, will say, man, this is really what we need and our life will be much better. Well, and, oh, I got two things to say that it's funny. You mentioned that that is one thing I, I always thought of myself as pretty meticulous just in, in life and mechanics and everything like that. But the, the, the labeling is one thing that I brought from my professional life to my personal life after seeing how valuable it is to have for anything, just to be well-documented and labeled and right there, you know, yeah, great. I have as built that could tell me what this is, but I got to, not lose those as builds, go back and find them, you know, take the time to look it up where if you open a control panel, it's all labeled, you know exactly what it is, what you're looking at. And it saves so much time that, I mean, I completely agree. That's one thing in my life that I, I brought from my professional experience. So where does it personal. fit in your personal life? Yeah. Just again, like even again, I'm a, I'm a, I personally enjoy working on cars, you know, labeling any kind of wiring for that now, Whereas before, yeah, I'll just I'll pull two wires for whatever this or that. Now I label it all. I mean, everything. I don't know. It just it helps so much. We were doing a lot for a project car, PCM. You know, we did a piggyback PCM, labeled everything. I just when you come back and you you're not wondering what is this wire for, it just helps a lot. I think that's a great example. I mean, about commissioning in particular that. You know, so, so many times you see that left as a, a far down the list punch list item and the project's accepted. But, you know, that's another great area where a commissioning agent really helps out with that eye on what happens when everybody leaves. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. Right. Like you said, Mark, uh, pulling tubes to how do we find this valve when it's really important we find that valve? Well, and that goes to the point of, being on site and, you know, eyes, ears and boots on the ground. If you showed up once a project was built and you said, Oh no, everything was supposed to be labeled. There's going to be some 
and moaning. But you know, if you're on site the whole time and you continuously radiate, did you label that? Is this labeled? Is this control panel? You know, these pneumatic tubes labeled, these wires labeled, and you you get people on the, you know, make it uh, repetitive. It it's easier. Just start doing it and follow through with it, rather than showing up at the end and saying, "Oh no, everything was supposed to be labeled." You might not get it. Well, and I think early on, it follows on to what Clayton said. It is, by and large, an education process that, you know, and and we've had this debate many times with contractors. Well, we interpret it this way. Well, it's not really, you know, when it says the contractor shall, uh, there's not much left to interpretation as far as labeling and and uh, as far as means and methods, um, distances between pipe supports, just crazy stuff, but things that nonetheless contribute to the overall look, feel, and performance of the project. Yep. And like I said, it's stuff like that that sometimes is not impossible, but extremely difficult to come back to to fix at the end of a project rather than as it's being built following the spec and doing it right the first time. So it's story time. Story time it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. We did a project. Oh, it was a pretty big project and uh, involved uh, a lot of cable. I mean, a lot. So typically in the field, in um, home runs, et cetera, we want no wire nuts on exposed wires. Everything's either permanent crimp splices or butt splices with shrink tubing over and over or whatever. So I hadn't been in a job in oh, a couple weeks and I knew there was a, a bundle of cables that was probably 18 inches in diameter. So I don't know how many cables we would get in there, maybe 250. That's a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a, a you know, tie into an existing uh, set of points, remove and replace. So I'm walking the job and I'm thinking, okay, I'm looking at this bundle of cables. I look, I look, I look, I can't find where the splices were. So I had to get a ladder and tucked up above a enormous uh, precast concrete beam was a bundle of wire connected with blue and orange wire nuts. It looked like a giant chrysanthemum bloom. And I said, wait a second, what is this? Oh, we never thought you'd see that. This is good. That's really high stuff. (laughs) I said, you never thought I'd see it. So that's the reason you can disregard the spec. And, you know, there's a reason for that, you know, that wire nuts are crappy little things that aren't made to be exposed to anything. Well, they're not exposed to anything. Okay, so here's your option. You can go buy a control panel, put everything in there, put all the wire nuts back on, or you can butt splice it and shrink tube it. I don't care, but it can't be an exposed bundle of wire nuts that look like they belong in a flower pot. It was awful. I I could imagine your jaw just dropped when you saw that. Like what? Uh, I didn't the- really. I, I, I used some colorful language. Of course, I was the only one there. But man, it was, it was that was awful. So, Mark, what are some? I know you you were talking about this earlier, maybe even before we we started the podcast. 
What are some common mistakes caught by commissioning agents then? Like during the installation process or what do they look for? You know, what do you want to watch as the commissioning agent to ensure does or doesn't happen? Number one, level of coordination between contractors. So in a new building construction, especially when it's GC or CM'd, it's a race to the finish and a race to get paid. So for instance, uh, Framer is doing his job. Electrician's trying to do his job. The uh, mechanical's trying to do his job. And it's imperative that basically you don't want anybody blocked out. So I, I usually on a large project want to see the coordination drawings to make sure that, okay, there's no interferences of substance between sheet metal and piping and electrical. All the equipment's located. There will be proper clearances when construction's finished so that everybody knows where their things are instead of fighting for real estate in the mechanical space or the plenums or, you know, wherever they're installing equipment because, you know, what you don't want is, okay, the sheet metal guy put all his stuff in and now we can't, you know, run wire. We can't do things that we needed to do there. So. Um, that's important. And then as you go through the, uh, beginning of rough in, if there are specific, um, connection methods or materials, whether, you know, we had one project that we put in that, um, the whole project was supposed to be seamless steel pipe and we get two thirds of the way into it and I didn't catch it, but half of the pipe was welded steel. So that means there's a seam welded down the uh, down the pipe. That's clearly not in compliance with the spec and ended up giving the owner a credit. But nonetheless, I should have caught that. I didn't catch it, but a lot of moving parts, and it was only a part of the shipment of pipes. So when I looked at the pipe, that wasn't there. You know, it's all outside the building. And by the time I saw it, it was already installed. But those kinds of things that, you know, simple, you want to uh, – make sure they happen early on. That's all. Those are very interesting examples because both of them, if I'm not mistaken, are things that maybe wouldn't cause an issue immediately, but could down the road. And obviously they're an issue because they're against the spec, but you know, a lot of those things could come and become problems, you know, well down the road, but there's plenty of other times when, you know, recently I was working on a project and again, so I'm, I'm, doing this remote, I'm getting all this trend data and and trying to make sense of, you know, how are things operating? And it was a large VAV system, many of them, but we could see the boxes were modulating. They're tied to occupancy sensors in the space, but nothing was happening back at the, the air handling unit serving those boxes, you know, no modulation or anything. And uh, we got all the commissioning documentation and it was signed off on that everything was you know, commissioned to spec and everything, but then it was acknowledged, well, we just commissioned the VAV boxes and there was no, hmm. you know, no, no attention paid to the air handling unit. So, and this was within a matter of days of them, you know, being wrapped up with the project or that piece of it, but, you know, those things need to be caught and addressed and obviously they had to go back and fix it. But yeah, lots of examples of problems that can come up immediately and you can see them and other ones that, present a risk down the road. 
one of the one of the items that we're always big on is installation of pull string in uh, control system conduit. We, why? Well, inevitably, the maintenance guys and or the contractor may want to come back and add points, add who knows what, or modify. Well, fishing a full conduit um, can be very difficult. Mm-hmm. Second, it, it, especially a lot of guys still carry steel tape. You know, you run the risk of damaging the control wire inside the conduit. So while you're pulling your wire, just pull a pull string in. Well, if you don't do it and the spec requires it, you have to do it because down the road, the maintenance people may want to add points. Um, and it's not up to them to fish a conduit that's full simply because you didn't do all the work that was in the spec. And the other part of that is we, we want conduit bushings uh, wherever bare wire is coming out of a conduit, the internal liner bushings, so that control wire, control cable is not chafing on the edge of the conduit so that five years down the road, you know, it doesn't rub through from the vibration of the pump and cause a short. So just simple things, but we like to see them. And they're all things that you always get pushback when you come on, you know, when they've gone through the job and it's closer to the end and you bring it up that nobody wants to go back and do. So it's it's much easier to reiterate that early and make sure, you know, it starts from the beginning. I probably picked that trick up from you, Mark. I thought I invented that, the pull string. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it really comes in handy around the house. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. Well, guys, I don't know if you have anything else you want to add. Um, I think we covered a lot of really good, valuable examples of why there should be eyes, ears, and boots on the ground as a commissioning agent. You need to be able to understand what's going on and what's the right thing to do and be able to communicate that well to the installers and the contractors. And um, yes, it's probably a little bit of a balancing act. Whereas, you know, you, you want to be the, the, the nice guy and the good guy. And sometimes you got to be, you know, the sheriff, know, the sheriff. That's a good, I was going to, I was going to use a word that I'd have to beep out. So the sheriff's a good one. Yep. And so it's interesting, you know, so my dad uh, started after he got out of the Marine Corps as a lineman for West Penn Power. I mean, he climbed poles all the time, Um, worked his way up to foreman, then superintendent. Then he got a job as a super or as a electrical department head up in Akron, actually. And then superintendent of public works, went to work for an engineering firm. Anyway, by the time he retired, he was a vice president of an engineering firm, uh, Stantec, which is a pretty big engineering firm. And as he got older, he, you know, his communication method was never particularly, how do you want to say, uh, accommodating. It was his way or the highway. And as he got older, he, he was very, you know, his, one of his favorite lines uh, was, nobody pays for what you think they pay for what you know. And in many regards, I think, you know, that part of commissioning is really essential. And we talked at the beginning about how commissioning agent general qualifications are a fair number of years in the business. 
and some good education with the expectation that you pass a rigorous test and can demonstrate you have the qualifications to effectively commission projects. But we don't get paid for what we think. We get paid for what we know. And I, I think that's, uh, that's important. And many, many times when I'm not sure of the subject matter at hand, I'll reach out to peers in the industry or other folks that I know are subject matters so that I can learn uh, what I don't know. Great little summary there. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think with that being said, we will wrap it up here. You need to know what you're doing. We all have a job. It's got to be done right. And um, yeah, make sure that we're on a straight path forward to the, the common goal, which it all is. So stay tuned, guys. Next episode, we're actually going to be discussing pre-functional and functional testing. Uh, this is really where the rubber meets the road. So thanks for tuning in. Have a great day.